Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Hi, everyone. This is another episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. And as you already heard through my nervous questioning, today we are talking about how do I fire a client? And while you could take option A, presented by Professor Troche and the illustrious Donald Trump, I was going to say the illustrious, (laughs) excuse me, you have to still refer to him as former President Trump. Former President Trump. Thank you. Because apparently you have to do that with every president. Whether you like him or not, you got to do it. So just need to be fair, or else I know we're going to get some haters being like, wait a second. There we go. Okay. So how do I fire a client outside of just doing that? And do you have to do the hand motion too? If you do- That does fire? help. I, I find that it makes people feel a lot more comfortable when you jab at them in the air. Yes. Yeah. So that both the words and the actions, I think is the totality of the first option, but to get, well, actually just not- to have an, Just to have another option in your sleeve, jump your sleeve just in case. Just a plan B in yeah. case you need it. Maybe we could talk about some other options. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, I have no problem going into the plan Bs. So <laughs> maybe we can start with how might you find yourself in a situation where you're even considering firing a client? I would say that there are lots of reasons why you might find yourself in that situation. I have had clients where, and some of these are going to be tangentially related to financial coaching. Some of these are going to be much more closely related to financial coaching, but I have had a client where she had an inheritance. It was a pretty significant inheritance. We put together a plan for her with regards to managing debt and other things along those lines, as well as investing the money and other things. And the behaviors of spending did not change. And this is very common with sudden money, when people, whether it's an inheritance, stock options, signing an NFL deal. I mean, if you want to look at a horrific track record of people making a lot of money and there not being a proper systems in place and proper decision-making in place for having that money last a lifetime, mm-hmm. a professional athletes is poster child number one for that. Yeah. So, you know, this is a very common thing. And she was not following the directions, prescriptions, and processes that were that we had agreed to in order to sort of maintain that that inheritance and not get herself back into the situation. And I think the word agreed to is an important one yes. as well. So not just you coming on high being like, you shall do this, but getting agreement and buy-in from the client. Yeah. And it's not getting it. By the way, I want to be very clear. It's not getting agreement and buy-in of, I came up with a plan and then I manipulated it to the agreement, or I kept saying, this is the only way for you to be successful. 
until she agreed. It was literally, we worked together to say, okay, how much do you want here? If we pay off all the debt, this is what, how much is left over. If she, she wanted to buy a car, I thought it was a horrible idea, but I'm not going to stop someone from buying a car, right? So, okay, so we're going to buy a car. This is what's left over. So this was very much a collaborative process of agreement of what the plan was, right? But still, there were certain elements of the plan that required restraint that she was not used to. And what ended up happening is, you know, I there was I there was a need for me to have sort of a conversation of, look, I'm going to have to fire you because the work that we're doing is not helping you. And all my fees are doing is contributing to this downfall. Mm-hmm. And I can't be a part of that. The happy ending that I'm going to share is not always what happens. <laughs> and it's very important that you don't do this with the expectation that there be a happy ending. Because I did this literally with the expectation of this was going to be the end of the relationship. She changed behaviors after that. And it's still to this day when she's making a decision that she knows may not be the wisest decision to say, well, you're, you're not going to fire me, are you? So that's one of the reasons. Another reason might be because their philosophies are different. I've fired clients because their philosophies on how they manage money are of the opposite of mine. And this is the, this is re- usually revolves around they view money as this thing that should be collected and that really the only thing that matters is having more of it. And that doesn't really work well with my philosophy of how I work with clients, how we do financial planning, even investments. It's not about maximizing return or increasing the amount of money that's in the investments. Now, that can be a part of, the, of a strategy to accomplish something, but it's never the end result. And so when clients have that kind of philosophy, it doesn't really work well with me because my planning process doesn't work that way. <laughs> And I wanted to highlight that it's not a differing of opinions. Like you in the first example with the woman who wanted to buy the car, you're like, I think that's a terrible decision to buy the car, but you're not going to stop her from doing it. That's more of a decision versus what it sounds like in the most previous example was this is a philosophical difference that is at the core of how I deliver financial planning or financial coaching for other people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that then it becomes like I, I can't actually do what I do in a way that would serve you. So therefore we need to part ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another way is what many financial advisors we call a PIA, clients that are PIA. You know what that is? Pain. Oh, no, sorry, PITA, PETA. They're PETAs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pain in the rear end. Oh, close, close. Pain in the assets. Oh, well done. Okay. I see. You like that? You like that? that. (laughs) So, and they're like, they're just clients that are problematic. And I know a lot of advisors, my staff, my paraplanners don't have direct contact with clients, but I would be the same way in that situation where if a client is abusive to someone that's not worth it. And so I would say the same thing for you, right? Pay attention to the relationship that you have with clients. And if it's a 
negative relationship that is that you wouldn't have if they weren't paying you, you should question of whether you should have that relationship, even if they are. That is a very good point because money for most of us changes things, whether Mm -hmm. we want to admit it or not. And so that's a great way of framing it is if this person wasn't paying me, would this be something I would be putting up with or would I be enjoying it? Or am I acting differently because now there's money involved? And that doesn't mean that just because money is involved that, how do I actually put this in a way that's English? It doesn't mean that you have to act the exact same if money is involved or isn't involved, because there may be some considerations of your own financial needs. And that's also something to note, whereas if you're putting your own financial needs over your, like the long-term both, I think your own best interest and what probably could start to become the best interest clients. of the client. Because sometimes, like in your example, firing a client can be the best thing for both you and them. Mm-hmm. And because firing a client, as long as you don't go in and like, you know, guns blazing and tell them they're terrible human beings and, you know, oh man, that was my, that was my plan B. Damn it. <laughs> no, I thought that was plan C. That was the other option. <laughs> so we're going to plan C now. <laughs> You know, like it, it can be for people who haven't had boundaries set or who kind of need that that line in the sand to be drawn. Like you said, for some people, they aren't ready for that, or it may just not be the right fit. But for some people, firing them is actually the best decision that can happen for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I would say that, that there's a final category that might put you into this position. And we're kind of making it how do you get into this position of podcast, but that's fine. The final category that put that might put you into this position is if you see something that is problematic from a significant ethical or legal perspective, right? I tell my clients, we're going to pay the IRS every dime that we owe them. We're just not going to leave them a tip. Right. Yeah. And so there's a big difference between being aggressive with taxes and being illegal with taxes. And it's not just taxes. It could be the way that they are managing money in offshore accounts. It could be them wanting to launder money through a series of businesses that I own in the Ozarks that, all right. And it could also be some significant ethical things. So for example, if there is significant financial abuse going on in a relationship, that's going to be something where uh, I'm going to have a very difficult time having that as part of the client relationship. And especially if the financial abuse gets to a level of of legal issues, where then there's the issue of your responsibility to both individuals. And it's highly unethical to pick a side, right? That's one of those things where you want to, and it's also problematic for yourself to be put in the middle of something that could end up in court. And so that's something where you may want to stop the relationship, explain the reason why, and say, hey, once you guys figure this out, if one of you wants to come back and talk to me, we can have that conversation, but I can't be involved while this is going on. Right. Got it. Yeah. Boy, such fun uh, opening topics, right? I say we, we went really light here. 
in the beginning. And it's important to state, right? Because there are, I think, both legal boundaries or lines that you need to draw for yourself. There are also some people may, like for my clients, we're pretty open and honest with each other. And we're just like, here are the drugs. And, you know, for me, that's, I think there's been a conversation or two in the financial coaches community Mm -hmm. about whether that's something that people are okay with. I take the perspective that people are going to do it anyway. It's not for me to say, I guess, kind of what's, so for me, that's not a line that I draw. You're talking about like literal drugs, right? I'm talking about like, not the, they aren't in the business of buying and selling drugs. They're like, okay. Or, well, I guess technically they're in the business of buying some drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they're like, all right, here's here's a couple hundred dollars for my weed budget. I'm like, okay, glad to hear that you're a Californian. So here, yeah. So here's what I would say to that. And I would say, borrow from my what I say in my personal finance class, which is, I'm not going to judge you for how you spend your money. So, and you need to have your vices in there because you will break your budget if you don't. <laughs> However, don't write on an assignment that you're going to upload to the school server's cocaine habit as one of your light items in your budget. Call it something else like playing in the snow. You would. Right. I forget that that was... Thank you for that clarification. Because I realized without stating that, that maybe people think that they actually put down the specific and I, that it's not just like a vices category. Right. Or so, yeah. so thank you for that clarification. Yeah. And it's mainly because you don't want to have yourself in a position where there is hard evidence that you were aware of illegal activities and did not do anything about it. <laughs> Good point. Great. Okay. So now let's talk about how to fire a client once they're in one of those categories. And the reality is it, the answer to that is going to change partially based on you, your personality, the relationship with the client, who the client is. Part of it is also going to change depending upon the the reason why it's in there. If the client is doing illegal things, and especially if they're trying to involve you in some way in those illegal things, then you don't really put on kid gloves, right? I mean, you need to be very unequivocal of, look, this is not something that I do. It's not something that I I am involved in. I'm not judging you. It's just, I cannot be involved in it. Or if you feel comfortable, I am judging you and I think you should stop <laughs> and I'm not going to be involved in it. But you know, there's no, there's no soft peddling it or some of the other things that we're going to be talking about of how to help the client come to that decision on their own. When you're talking about legalities, you, shouldn't, you, do, you cannot put yourself in that position right? where you are taking your time and extricating yourself from something that could put you in jail. Good point. Or make you a party to a lawsuit. The legalities could be civil issues as well. So that's kind of the easiest one. The more difficult ones are how do I deal with clients that are, that are pains? How do I deal with clients that are not following the directions, so on and so forth? And those are, you do want to try to figure out how to help the client come to that decision on their own. Ideally, so you were taught in school to write deductively, right? So that five-paragraph essay that you were taught all through, all the way up through high school, right? Say what you're going to, your main point, give your three uh, 
supporting things and then summarize it at the end, right? That is the deductive process. So we start off with the main idea up front. Then we provide the details or the reasoning behind it. Okay, that's deductive. With clients, you want to use an inductive process. You don't start with the main idea. In fact, the conversation, and this is not about you put it to the, like the, you, you talk about some other stuff and then throw it in. <laughs> it's literally the client should have no idea what this conversation is about until they've come to the conclusion themselves that, that you guys should no longer be working together. Hmm. And then you say, I think we should break up. And this is really hard to do. <laughs> this is not an easy thing to do. I was going to say, let's hear an example. So one of the things that you might do, and I'm going to give an investment example, not applicable to coaches, but you can look at it from the perspective of instead of investments, this is someone who is not paying down their debt or who is whatever it happens to be. And more specifically, let's say that it's a person that is a pain. And while the investment example I'm going to give, we'll go through it from that perspective, apply this to they're combative with you. They argue with you about their spending. When you bring things up and no matter how non-judgmentally you try to bring things up, it turns into a fight and an argument, right? And so that's the type of situation. So actually, let's just go with that. So that's what the person is doing. So the first thing that you want to say is, okay, I, I want to do a budget review, right? A review, not of how you're spending your money. I just want to review kind of where we're at right now, right? What we've done for the budget, because I want to make sure that it's actually right for you. And so you start going through it. And as you go through it, say, okay, so we said that we were going to do, that you were going to do $100 a month for sushi. And you're spending $200 a month for sushi so that we know that the budget is wrong. You're not wrong for spending the $200. The budget is wrong. So what is, and as you go through it, you want to make it clear that, okay, this is what I would do. I would do the $100 a month. What, what do you think it should be? Mm -hmm. right? And over and over and over again, if you're expressing, this is what I would do, you think it should be this other thing, they're going to start to realize, wow, we don't agree on any, anything. There's no common ground here. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start questioning, why am I even paying this person when everything that they're saying is wrong? At which point you can say, you know, it sounds like we just fundamentally have very different viewpoints on building the budget. And it doesn't mean that yours is wrong. It's that any budget that I built is not going to be right for you. It's I'm not going to be able to actually help you. And I'm just causing things to be worse here. With investments, what I will oftentimes do is go over their investments and we'll talk about the different things they want to do and everything else. And I say, well, it sounds like you've got a really strong investment philosophy of what you believe you want to do. You're not getting a lot of value out of the investment advice that I'm offering you. So I'm basically just taking money from you and I'm doing work, but it's not benefiting you. And you shouldn't be paying me for the work that I do. You should be paying me for the benefit that you get. So I think, it, to be honest with you, it, it wouldn't be right to continue to take your money. It's a good way to frame it. I mean, it is accurate. And mm -hmm. 
I think it it is a good way to frame it because in the client's mind, it does center them mm-hmm. as like you putting their best interest first. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're doing it because you don't like the person. You don't want to see them again, but it, it does it in a way that respects it. Yeah, it does, <laughs> it does it in a way that respects the other person. And one thing that I do want to point out is we're talking about how do I fire a client? We aren't necessarily talking about what steps you can take to help get to the decision as to whether you should fire them or not. Right. So you know, firing a client, hopefully there are some steps and communication that you have with them that you give them the opportunity to change behavior over time or that you have, depending on what it is, right? Like if it's one of those legal issues, then yes, you need to set that boundary very quickly and protect yourself. But if it's something where they aren't communicating or they are not following through in work where like it's dependent on them to do some of the work for you to do yours. And that just keeps happening. And then like, it is important to communicate that, Hey, I'm trying to do X or like, I need this from you. Here's what I'm seeing. And so that if, and when the firing happens, it's not like a blind side. Yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. Kind of like a, why, like a, a bad way to end a relationship is being like, I don't like you anymore. And they're like, what? You literally haven't told me anything about this. So like, if you don't communicate what you're feeling throughout a relationship and then it blindsides the person, that may not be the best way of doing it. And I think in financial coaching, advising in the space that we're talking about, it is important for you as the coach, even if it's uncomfortable to communicate those things. So you give the client a chance to change and don't necessarily put them into a box where you think they can't change, even if that's been your experience with other prior clients. Yeah. And I would say that's a, that's part of your job as a financial advisor or as a financial coach is that you need to be, have those uncomfortable conversations of, Hey, these things are not happening and they need to well before you're at the point where these things are not happening and we need to exit this relationship. And I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And what I would say is I've, found it challenging in the past at times. And I think the more comfortable I felt with it is because, and I've heard this from other coaches is like, you are for those who are non-confrontational for those who are uh, conflict avoidant Mm -hmm. in terms, passive aggressive, or at times it can be challenging to put yourself in that space and clearly communicate what you want without any like energy or judgment around it. And be okay with the fact that the other person will have their reaction. Yeah. And so I 100% agree that it's something that we need to do as coaches. And I think that when we are our business, it can be easier for the bleed to happen where it's not like, you know, this is me as the financial coach. If I was hired by some other company, there's a lot more squishiness, maybe overlap between like your feelings as a human being. And then like that kind of being attached to you, the solo business owner. And I'm not saying it's right. It just happens. Yeah, it does. For some people. And we obviously don't have time for this, but probably a worthwhile conversation is, especially for people who are that passive, more passive. Therapy. Um, There we go. I saved you a lot of time. Uh, I I would say that there's things beyond therapy as well. Uh, One of the big things is, you know, the, the longer you avoid confrontation, the bigger the confrontation is. And for people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum, who are very comfortable with conflict and are thinking, ha, those silly passive people, what are they thinking? 
you have an opposite problem, which is you have the issue of creating confrontation when none really needs to be there. And that is both sides of the aisle, meaning that both Garrett and I fall into one of those two buckets. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not us pointing at other people, but it's very important to realize that that whatever side you fall on, your, your natural tendencies are not helping. And you want to be very careful of, if you're on the passive side, looking at people that are more comfortable with conflict and saying, wow, you just cause all sorts of problems by creating conflict. This is true. At the same time, those on the conflict side, you don't want to be looking at the passive people and saying, well, you're just creating all sorts of problems by not addressing things early enough. That is true as well, but we can go back to the other side as well, right? You have to, you realize that you, you're, whatever side you're on, your natural tendencies are hindering your ability to be effective. A hundred percent. And what I would say, there's one thing I wanted to add and it just completely slipped my brain. So look, both of us are human. No, no. Josh a little bit less than me. Josh is, yeah. Josh is more robot for sure. But at least call me that five letter word. (laughs) (laughs) well anything else around that so you know we we gave them options a and option c uh which are very quick yeah and then you know something to think about in between i think we gave them a few other options other than the two silly ones yeah i think that another thing approach that is worthwhile exploring or thinking about is the idea of graduating a person this is more appropriate when you're further into the relationship and any one of the reasons that we talked about before could be the impetus for wanting to exit the exit the relationship, exit the, the client-coach relationship. But if you've gone through four months of a six-month program and it's just not working for you as the coach anymore, telling the client, saying, I want to take a look at all the progress you've made. Right. And saying and and pointing out here's all the great things you've done, all the progress, all the great stuff you've you've accomplished, all the debt you pay down, everything else. I feel like you're kind of on autopilot now and that you are ready to try it on your own without me. And so that if you're a little further into the relationship, that can also be a highlighting the positives, all the great stuff that's happened and saying. You know, I think that you're ready to to kind of go off on your own. Um, so if you find yourself in that position later in the relationship, that's an option as well. Not something you want to try and do if it's like the second meeting. Right? Look, look, look at all this great stuff we had. We talked for an hour and you downloaded files. <laughs> now, baby bird, go. Yeah, yeah. One question just before we wrap related yeah. to what you said is, how would you handle this? And this may be a much larger question that we take another time, but in the case of if four months into a six month program, if they still have some payments that are due, or if it was all paid up front, how would you handle potentially giving them money back or keeping, I know that there's probably a definition in the contract Mm. about how to handle that, you know, because you are highlighting the good, right? We accomplished so much. And, you know, because it's, it's then, are you focusing on the value? Are you focusing on the time? Yeah, this is why I don't do payments up front because I don't want to have to do the prorating and all that kind of stuff. 
I'm not saying that people who do do it are doing their business wrong. It's just for me, I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. And that is definitely a much bigger question. What I will say, addressing it within the context of this conversation is you being able to run your business in a manner that you want it to be run in and your reputation and relationship with former, former clients. That's what we're talking about. Those two things are more important than money. And you want to be, I, I would caution you, don't be legalistic. It's not about what's in the contract. It's about what is going to best preserve that relationship and what is going to allow you to run your business in the manner that you want. And if a client is abusive and yelling at you and it is impacting your life, give them the two-month refund. Don't worry about what's in the contract. You will have other clients and you will have more clients if you are not dealing with that emotional negativity and bringing that into sales conversations and marketing and all the other stuff. The money is not worth having that be of, oh, I'll just put up with it for another two months so I don't have to give a third of the money back or whatever it happens to be. And I think as a good wrap up for just this topic in general, the money isn't worth it yeah. uh, in most cases. So ending that relationship and knowing that it creates space for better relationships and it's not just time, but it's how you show up, like you said, in sales conversations and marketing with existing clients. So that was a really good point to hit. Josh, thanks as always. Appreciate it. And we'll be on next week. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.